0: I know what I've done, bad things, terrible, awful, murderous things. Help me! Help me! I want to be loved from as many people as possible, but truth is I'm not really a good person. What's up folks? Welcome to another episode of Jason Unleashed. This is basically my once a year podcast podcast. Where I count down my top, best, favorite, whatever you want to call it, thirty horror films of the year, and obviously this is going to be my favorite thirty horror films of 2022, and this is actually going to be a raw, dog in it version, meaning I'm not going to edit this at all. <laughs> for those who don't know me, my name is Jason. I used to run the Horophilia Network of podcasts over at Horrorphilia.com for about eleven years. Uh, I was also a host of the Horophilia podcast. And then later on I went and uh, was a host of my Bloody podcast and also Bloody Bits. Now this podcast, which is called Jason Unleashed, is basically my podcast where I can uh, give my end of the year top 30 horror films. So I only have uh, one episode a year. Actually, last year I had two episodes, which I'll get to that a little bit more later. Uh, but normally I highly edit my podcasts. Uh, what you hear is not what I usually originally record. <laughs> I... Usually edit out all my ums, uh, my stuttering, my mispronunciations, uh, all the uh, all the stuff that you would expect. But due to unforeseen circumstances, I wasn't able to get this podcast out in a timely manner. I meant to have it out about two weeks ago. I've had a family emergencies. My whole family had the flu. Um, I actually had about two and a half hours of my about eight or nine hours of notes erased. Now, if I would have had all of my notes erased, uh, I would have just said fuck it and not recorded this and just released a written version of my top 30, but luckily uh, I didn't save it. It's a long story, but anyway, I didn't save it correctly and I lost about two, two and a half hours of notes, which ended up being a good thing because I think when I redid my notes, I did them even uh, better and more detailed. Uh, Now, me personally, I've heard tons of end of the year podcasts myself. I just listened to the, uh, these are all I recommend also, I just listened to Mark Nato in the Horrorcast, uh, Exploding Heads, had a fantastic one, they're on Patreon, 22 Shots of Moods and Horror, they had a, a great episode, uh, a few others too, you know, I'm not gonna, already forgot the names of, anyway, uh, there's a bunch out there, and I might put it in the show notes too, so there's tons of horror podcasts, and Podcasts that used to be on my network that I listen to that I highly recommend. So if you're like me and heard a bunch of these uh, podcasts already, why the hell should you listen to my thoughts? Uh, well, obviously I will have some of the same films that they discussed. Uh, you know, mostly the the big, the big, uh, the big hitters, obviously. But also, I uh, believe I'm going to have a lot in my top thirty list that are completely different. And there's possibly going to be some films that. Uh, that you would like here so hopefully give me a chance here uh now as far as 22 in general i think it was a great overall year for horror films i was looking back in my records here and i think it may be tied for second best year after 2019 in the past five years now 2019 that had midsummer us dr sleep child's play a record of sweet murder crawl Some uh, highly acclaimed stuff and fun stuff here. Uh, But this is also a pretty good year here. Now, I did watch 180 2022 horror films. And out of those 180, I actually liked 150 of them. And out of the 180, 105 of them I would actually recommend to most people uh this is also another great year for slashers not as good as last year last year was pretty amazing but this year is a really solid year for slashers also um great year for old school horror franchises that either had new entries or remakes uh there's some solid creature features psychological horror uh overall though i thought it was a pretty weak year for found footage and comedy horror even though we will have some comedy horror in my in my top 30 But uh, in comparison to years past, I think it was a little weak, almost non-existent here. Now, as far as found footage films, the two major ones out this year, uh, I actually had some major flaws with them, even though I enjoyed them both. Uh, Now, what I'm going to do is a top 30 countdown. And the reason I picked 30, because generally, uh, out of, I, I think I average 160 to 180 watches a year. And 30 seems to be the cutoff point for my list where it goes from uh, really good films to good films. So I just stuck with it here and 30 seems to work for me. So that's what I'll stick with here. So I'm going to count down my top 30 in reverse order. um, And then I'll do a a recap at the end. And along the way, if one of these top 30 films has a special award I want to give, I'll mention it during during my thoughts on the film, now, once the top 30 is done, I'll give away the rest of my awards that I haven't mentioned yet. And then I'll also go over some hidden gems that I recommend. I think I have five of them altogether. And also my thoughts on major films uh, that didn't make my top 30 list. So we'll have a lot of shit to discuss here. So hopefully you enjoy. Um, now, as far as the two found footage films I was uh, referring to earlier... The first one was Deadstream from Shudder. I thought that had a great concept. It was you know, basically like a found footage, evil dead. Really fun moments, but I absolutely hated the actor, the lead actor. I thought he was uh, pretty weak overall. If they would have got pretty much any other actor um, of average quality, it would have elevated the film. He just took me out of the film too many times. Uh, he reminded me of someone trying to act, if that makes any sense here. Uh, I still overall enjoyed it. I think I gave it a six and a half. And then the other major found footage one from this year was Dash Cam, which I thought that film had some great scares, some cool visuals, but it also had maybe the most alloy, annoying lead character in horror history. Uh, having said that, I still give the film a seven and a half. I really enjoyed it here. Uh, other than that, found footage was pretty bare. I, I didn't get to see the WNUF sequel, if that counts here. Uh, but man, I just remember the glory years, you know, 10 years ago where, uh, there was seven, eight, nine found footage films that were, that were awesome here. So who knows if those days will ever come back. I kind of doubt it, but hopefully they will. <clears throat> All right. So that's, uh, my brief thoughts on the year. So now we'll go ahead and jump straight into the countdown. So starting off, obviously is my number 30 and look at my notes here. So I don't have to repeat it every single time, but but from my number 30 all the way down to 19. So 30 to 19, I give all of these the same rating. I'm giving them a 7.75 out of 10, and then it jumps up to 8 from uh, from my 18th pick on, and I'll, I'll go over that when I get to it. All right, so starting off with uh, number 30 is a film I saw early in the year. And I re-watched it and highly enjoyed it, and that is Wormwood Apocalypse from Australia, directed by Kia Roach-Turner, and I saw it originally on VOD. In a zombie-infested Australian wasteland, Soldier Reese has dedicated his life to tracking and capturing survivors for the Surgeon General in hopes of finding a cure. Alright, this is a sequel that is eight years after the original. I thought it was really fun. Uh, it had a cool twist. Uh, There are humans, uh, basically there's three types of people in society. There are humans, you have zombies, and then you have these hybrid zombies. And the hybrids, uh, they turn wild until they drink blood. And then once they get a hold of blood, they calm down and become human again. Uh, But they can also psychically control other zombies on what to do. And another uh, twist they put on the zombie genre is the zombie's breath is methane. So, humans actually used them, strapped them to vehicles, cars, and motorcycles, and they used a zombie breath to power the vehicles. I thought it's a pretty fun, cool concept. Um, now, this film, it, like I said, takes a place eight years after the original um, Wormwood film. And the sequel is about a soldier who captures humans, and he takes them to this mad scientist that is supposedly looking for a cure. Uh, now the soldier is a good guy by heart, he doesn't really realize the evil stuff that they're doing to the captured people, and he does end up capturing another hybrid that he takes to the scientists, he finally realizes what's going on, so he does team up with the hybrid sister, and then also the original characters from the first film, uh, brother and sister, uh, and the sister's a hybrid also, they all team up together to try to take down this mad scientist. Uh, Fantastic practical gore, great kills, you have kamikaze grenade zombies, giant machine guns, you even have this zombie robot hybrid (laughs) that's being controlled remotely by the evil scientists, Uh, just a really fun solid finale with an opening definitely to make another sequel here so hopefully they'll make a trilogy out of it and hopefully he won't wait another eight years uh, to make another film here. But that snuck in as my number 30, and I was able to rewatch almost all of my top 30. And um, I think there might be one or two I didn't, but for the most part I did here, and this is what solidified it. All right, number 29 is one of the latest films I saw, and it is called Adult Swim Yulog. It is directed by Casper Kelly. Uh, he also um, wrote the Cheddar Goblin part in Mandy. So that's what basically he's known for, but uh, he directed this film, and here's a synopsis on this. A couple and a group of podcasters spend the night in a double book cabin, unaware that the two killers are already inside and lying in wait. However, they are not the only threat to watch out for as dark forces surround the living room's fireplace and the burning Yule log inside. <laughs> I'm not really sure what I actually heard about this film. But it's something you'd exactly suspect a horror movie from Adult Swim would be. It has redneck killers, cults, aliens, tiny demons, a possessed log. Uh, Man, they throw in the kitchen sink, but somehow it all works. Uh, The film actually starts off with this five-minute segment of the camera is just focused on a log that's burning in the fireplace. And you hear these people talking in the background. I was wondering at that point if it was actually going to be a true narrative movie or we're just going to listen to it all. But it it does pan out and become a regular movie. So it's established that this couple, that they end up going to this cabin. Uh, The guy, what he actually does for a living, he records fire log videos and then he sells them. Uh, The cabin, though, is double booked by this group of podcasters, which are a bunch of partiers, dope smokers. Uh, Now the cops end up showing up at the uh, cabin saying that this killer has escaped. They find out that the firewood, uh log is used uh, was actually taken from a cursed tree where they used to hang slaves. Uh so the log basically becomes possessed and kills this dude in a shower and then this tiny demon guy brings you into the fire and talks to you. It gets really fucking bizarre. Uh but it it, it works though. I mean, it sounds like it just Batshit crazy, which it is, but it's so well made um that it doesn't take you out of the film at all. Here, so basically, there you have a killer log and other stuff. I don't want to spoil here. It's a really fun film. Nothing like it. It is a horror comedy, if uh, if you couldn't tell. Uh, obviously, by a guy that wrote Cheddar Goblin, the Cheddar Goblin portion of Mandy most likely would be a, uh, a comedy. But yeah, a really fun film. If you saw the title. And didn't give it a chance. I definitely recommend it obviously. That was my number 29 film of the year. Now moving on to number 28. It is called Missing. I saw this on VOD. And it's a co-production from Japan and South Korea. The director is Shinzo Katayama. And he actually what he's known for. He's the assistant director on Bong um, Bong Joon-ho's mother film. Alright, so depressed and in debt, Santoshi tells his young daughter that he's going to find an infamous serial killer and collect a reward. However, when Santoshi disappears without a trace, she starts to fear the worst and begins searching for him. Alright, so the film basically, you have this teenage girl, she lives with her father, Uh, he's a construction worker, but he also claims that he's going to catch this uh, infamous serial killer in town so he can get the reward. One morning, the girl wakes up and she can't find her father. She does suspect that he went looking for the killer. She starts to investigate what's going on. She ends up going to his job and gets other clues and starts to go around town. Uh, That's the main gist of the story, but at the same time, you have these flashbacks. Uh, So the movie basically flashes back to what led to this moment. So it's not told in chronological order, but it really works. Now, the film itself is not particularly scary, but there's definitely some brutal deaths. uh, Pretty cool story reveal. Uh, So, yeah, it's, what can I say here? It's South Korean, so it's really well written, well acted, and not your typical movie. And I haven't heard really, I don't know if anyone uh, heard uh, talk about this film besides myself, but it's called Missing, and I definitely highly recommend it here. And, oh yeah, I was going to tell the countries for all my films uh, and then recap it at the end here. So Wormwood Apocalypse is Australian. Adult Swim Long is a USA. Adult Swim Yule Log is a USA production. And then this one was Japan and South Korea. All right, now moving on to my number twenty-seven film. This is a co-production for both the Denmark and the Netherlands, and it is Speak No Evil. It is directed by Christian Tafdrup, and I saw this on Shudder. A Danish family visits a Dutch family they met on a holiday. What was supposed to be an idyllic weekend slowly starts unraveling as the Danes try to stay polite in the face of unpleasantness. Naya, personally, I love these type of films where characters, or in this case families, they're put in awkward situations and they have to try to deal with it. Uh, As I read, you basically have this wholesome conservative family They end up meeting up with this Dutch family on vacation, and they get invited to their house. Uh, So they go visit them. Awkward situations arrive, and there's actually more to the Dutch family than meets the eye. Now, personally, this would have been a top five film of the year if it wasn't for the last 15 minutes. Um, I don't want to spoil it here if you haven't seen it, but just the last 15 minutes, it's hard to imagine... The decisions or even indecisions that these family members made would have actually been made by anyone else in the world. (laughs) I know they try to set you up throughout the movie that this is a, a pacifist family. But even in my opinion pacifists have their limits. Especially when it comes to kids or families. You just have to fight or run with everything you have. And let's just say they didn't do that. <laughs> so I personally like the concept of the film uh, and the story. I, and I like the concept of the ending. I just don't like the execution of the ending. So that dropped it down. I would say a whole point, the the ending. Otherwise, it would have been a top five movie. But still, leading up to the ending, it's a fantastic fucking movie. Uh-huh. Uh, awesome acting, too. I'm not familiar with any of the actors, but all of them did a bang-up job. All right, that was my number 27 film. Make sure the bad boy's still recording. That's my worst nightmare, Is it? which I've done it a few times before. I record and didn't realize it was recording. <laughs> but it's going good. All right, so moving on to the next film. My number 26 film is another film that I don't think I've heard anyone talk about, which is a shame because the director. And my number 26 film from Ireland is Let the Wrong One In. And the director of this film is Connor McMahon, which if that name doesn't sound familiar, he is the guy who directed Stitches, that awesome slasher clown movie from a few years back. Uh, I originally saw this on VOD, but it is now currently free on Freebie. And if you're not familiar with Freebie, I guess it's Amazon's version of Tubi now. Um, I think they're taking the free... I don't know, 100%, I'm not sure, but I think the Amazon free version is all moving to freebie, or it has moved. Uh, But you can see it for free, so of course I recommend it. So here's a synopsis of this one. 16-year-old Matt is a little too nice for his own good, and when uh, when he discovers that his older estranged brother, Deco, has turned into a vampire, he's faced with a dilemma. Will he risk his own life to help his sibling, with blood being thicker than water? Or will he stake him before he spreads the infection further? Obviously, if you couldn't tell, uh, this is a horror comedy to the extreme. I mean, it's definitely uh, comedy is the emphasis on here. Now, once again, I was really shocked I didn't hear more about this film. Uh, Cut Stitches, from what I recall, was a fairly big hit within at least the hardcore horror community, at least. And I thought this would at least get a little bit of mention, but I really haven't heard it. And... um. So to get into the story a little bit, you have this, how it starts off, and on all these films, especially the ones that are not as popular, my whole goal is not to spoil it at all, I'm just going to give you uh, basically the setup of the movie, but I'm not going to spoil anything major at all. Uh, Now the bigger movies that pretty much you should have already seen by now, or most people have seen, I may get a little bit more detailed on those, uh, but for the most part I'm going to try to go spoiler free on on this whole uh, podcast. Uh, but the movie starts off, you have this woman in her late 30s or maybe even early 40s. She's having her bachelorette party in Transylvania, and she's bit by by a vampire. Uh, the next scene, it switches to this fuck-up dude that was kicked out of his own house, basically for pawning their own stuff for drugs and alcohol. His mom kicks him out, and he comes home, though, to get his little brother's help. Uh, you find out in flashbacks that the woman from the beginning of the film she actually bit him at a club and turned him. Uh, now he's slowly turning into a vampire. He's burning in the sun, and he feels the need to feed. Uh, but until you actually feed, you don't turn all the way to vampire. vampire. Uh, also, the bride-to-be's fiancé, he is on a mission to kill her and cover her tracks and basically kill anyone that she's ever turned. Uh, 75% of this film takes place at one location, basically at the two brothers' house. With the uh, brothers fighting with each other. And then also dealing with this vampire hunter dude that shows up. And also there's this nosy gangster neighbor guy. Uh, Now the humor may not be for everyone. But it definitely worked for me. It is the dry humor. uh, British humor. Uh, I'll give one example here. The lead vampire woman. uh, She has a clan of vampires under her. And they have a dude's head. Uh, There's a beheaded I'm not sure how to word it, but anyway, there's a beheaded head on a stake, and when she gets thirsty, she punches it in the face, and no uh, uh blood drips from the nose, and she pours it in a cup and drinks it. It's that kind of humor. It works for me here. uh Now the fuck up brother in the film, he is so fucking stupid. I mean, he's, you know, obviously to the extreme stupider than most people would be. But uh, in his stupidity, he does have some hilarious lines based from that. Uh, So, yeah, it has this definite British-UK humor that worked for me. Uh, Also, Doug, the finale, like the first 75% of the movie is that takes place in one house, but they end up going to a different location. And the finale is uh, pretty action-packed. And there's some, you know, silly stuff that happens, but some cool stuff here. Uh, but the film in general, talking about the horror aspect of it, there's lots of blood, uh, tons of blood shooting all over characters, good makeup effects. Uh, there's some CGI that's a little wonky, but I think it's done on purpose for a comedy effect. <laughs> uh, but this film is not for everyone. But if you like comedy horror and especially British humor, this is definitely a recommend here. That's my number 26 film. Alright, moving on to my number 25 film, and I originally had this one a lot higher, or lower, however you want to mention it, it was in my top 10, put it that way, And but now after upon rewatch, I had to drop it down to 25, and it is The Cursed, and this is actually a co-production from UK, France, and the US. Uh, the director is Sean Ellis, and he directed a film previously called The Broken, which I kind of liked here, and I saw this on VOD. In the late 19th century, a brutal land baron slaughters a Roma clan, unleashing a curse on his family and village. In the days that follow, the townspeople are plagued by nightmares, the baron's son goes missing, and a boy is found murdered. The locals suspect a wild animal, but a visiting pathologist warns of a more sinister presence lurking in the woods. Uh, this is also one of the best creature features of the year, but the reason why I don't have it higher than what I do is the story is almost too simplistic uh, in comparison because, I mean, it has great production values. Uh, the I guess a shot on, I'm assuming, location somewhere here. It doesn't look like it's uh, sets for me here. Um, now, the story in general, you have this Englishman, they end up trying to steal the land away from them and end up killing this uh, clan of gypsies. Uh, the gypsies though, before they die, they put a curse on the land. They basically make these fang dentures that are made out of silver, which is the silver from Judas. Uh, and when you put this um, dentures in your mouth and you bite someone, they end up turning into a werewolf creature. And then everyone in this cursed land, they start to have these scary nightmares. Uh, there is a small political angle in the film, but nothing nothing uh big and i I personally thought they could have went a little bit further with it now. the mother in the film, damn, I don't have her name in front of me uh she's a fantastic actress. I would have actually loved to have seen more of her character uh I think they could have made some kind of a little subplot between her uh and the pathologist. in my opinion, I think they should have went that route. Um, so there is some spotty cgi in moments but the practical effects are pretty great and there's like a dissection scene which reminded me of the thing i think that scene actually really worked it was pretty cool uh, now me personally i didn't love the way it ended uh it was a little anticlimactic but i thought it was it was decent enough it just wasn't quite as grand as what i was hoping here uh and there is a wraparound that's kind of unnecessary uh, it was okay i mean i could have I could have done without it i don't know if it really added anything to the film uh, but it was okay but but overall it's a pretty good creature feature film one of the best of the year here and i obviously recommend it and that is the cursed all right now the next film uh i did like it as another recent watch but i don't like it quite as much as other people and this is one of the films that i only did get to see one time so, there is definitely potential upon rewatch. I would like it even more. And it is Bones and All. And it's actually a co production between US and Italy. And the director of this is Luca, I know I'm saying this wrong probably, but Luca uh, Guadagnino. And he's the guy who directed the Suspiria remake, which I absolutely love from a few years ago. And I saw this also on VOD. Abandoned by her father, a young woman named Marin embarks in a thousand-mile odyssey through the backroads of America where she meets Lee, a disenfranchised drifter. But despite their best efforts, all roads lead back to their terrifying past and to a final stand that would determine whether their love can survive their otherness. Uh, like I mentioned, I don't think, I don't, this film is not quite as high as some people have it. But I actually liked it quite a bit here, and I haven't heard anyone mention this, and I'm not sure if it's just me, but I think the film had kind of a Dr. Sleep feel to it for some reason. Maybe it was because it was a, kind of a road movie, and Dr. Sleep had that that aspect to it. I don't know, but they, I immediately had the connection when I was watching it for some reason. Now, both of the two le- young leads in the film were fantastic. I uh, really like Marin. Um... That Timothy Chalamet guy. This is the first time I'd heard about him. All these I haven't seen any films with him that I know of, but of course I heard about him, and he was pretty good. I, I like that kid. He's a good actor. And the Sully character in the film, uh, with his souvenirs and his whole presence, I was effectively creepy. I really liked his character. Uh, but I do got to admit, once I saw his character, I did pre- cor- uh, correctly predict his role in the film. Um, not spoiling anything, but I kinda had a feeling his character was arc was going the way that I thought it was gonna go. Uh but once again it has great acting, cinematography, musical score. Uh I'm actually tempted to read the book. <laughs> I heard this is re- I don't I'm not big a big reader by any means at all here, but I, this is one of those films where I kinda have the feeling that the book is potentially better than the movie. Uh could be wrong, but I just have that kind of feeling on it. But, uh, yeah, I enjoyed the film here. Um, I don't know why I don't have it higher, to be honest with you. I'm trying to think what I had problems with. I guess it didn't do anything that really surprised me, which that's not always a necessity for me to like a film. But, uh, once again, I only saw it once. so I definitely could put it higher upon on rewatch. I don't put it past that. All right, now moving on to my number 23 film which might surprise some people, and I haven't heard anyone mention it, and I, I can see why they not, especially most people are doing their top 20 or top 22, uh, and this didn't quite make mine either, but I highly enjoy it, and my number 23 is Studio 666, which is American release directed by B.J. McConnell, which he is the director of Hatchet 3, and I saw this on VOD, and here's the synopsis, the legendary rock band Foo Fighters, moving to an Encino mansion steeped in grisly rock and royal history to record their much-anticipated 10th album. Once in the house, Dave Grohl finds himself grappling with supernatural forces that threaten both the completion of the album and the lives of the band. (laughs) Now, I like the Foo Fighters, uh, but I don't love them. I mean, the only people I even knew their names of before this movie was Dave Grohl and Taylor Hawkins. Uh, I honestly didn't know any of the other band members, or their names. Uh, I do know them now here because I've seen it a few times. But Pat Smear um, in the band, he was actually pretty damn good. He he was a good. He was in a so bad as good kind of way his acting. And then Rami, the keyboardist, he went all out crazy. He went butch shit crazy on his role, and I I really dug his performance. He he had the most fun performance, uh, the f- most fun scenes also in the film here. Uh, now, a little background on this, this movie was filmed where they actually recorded their last album by B.J. Mc, uh, McDonald. Now, Dave Grohl is definitely the main actor in the film, but the other uh, band members were in it actually more than what I was expecting. Now, the film is uh, obviously a comedy horror, but there's tons of gore, blood. There's actually some fantastic kills, especially the bed kills, one of the best of the year. Now, even though the plot line in general wasn't the most original is pretty well executed with a super entertaining ending i thought they nailed the ending for sure that's one of the the best things about the film now there is some definitely some goofy horror stuff um but overall it was treated uh, pretty seriously here way but this film is way better than it had any right to be it's one of these good party type movies um also there's a band at the beginning of the film called dreamweaver And Dave Grohl actually, which I think is awesome, he made an album uh, called Dreamweaver uh, from this fictional band. And, man, the album is fantastic. I actually uh, listened to it quite a bit last year. What it reminds me of is kind of like the last Metallica album, Hardwired to Self-Destruct. The music reminds me of that a little bit, but I think it definitely has some heavier moments. And Dave Grohl does do some uh, growling in a few songs, Uh, but it's really catchy, really, really well done album here. Uh, If you haven't heard it, I highly recommend it. That's called Dreamweaver. And this film is a lot of fun here. So if you haven't seen it, if you thought it looked too goofy, then uh, definitely give it a chance here because I enjoyed the hell out of it. I've seen it three times, I think, with different people. And, man, it definitely has rewatch value also. Uh, it's, It's fast paced. Now, moving on to my number 22 film of the year, and I really like this one here. Um, I did have it a little bit uh, lower on my list, higher, man, I don't know how to word that. When I say higher, I guess that means closer to the number one. So I had it higher on my list originally, uh, but after some rewatches, it dropped a little bit, but it's still a fantastic film. It is a another zombie film, and it is called Virus 32. And the production on this is uh, between its two co- countries here Argentina and Uruguay. Uh, the director of this film is Gustavo Hernandez, which he actually did that film, uh, I think, about a decade ago called The Silent House. And I saw this movie, it's currently on a uh, shutter. A rapid spreading virus which transforms people into intelligent, ultra violent, extra fast zombie hunters. And after each wave of attack by the monsters, They're left incapacitated for 32 seconds while they recover their strength. Now, while it's not the best zombie-infected film of the year, it's pretty damn close second in my opinion. Not only does it have the practical gore, it has the emotional connection that some of the best zombie films over the years have had. Uh, The main plot of this film is you have this trashy young mother she brings her 10-year-old girl to her security guard job, which she it's overnight at this YMCA type of building or something equivalent in their country. Uh, during that night, a zombie apocalypse breaks out, and an older man and his pregnant wife in a wheelchair, they end up showing up uh, for refuge, and another man and his daughter break in. Uh, the hordes of zombies end up attacking this building, and the lead uh, character here, uh, she ends up getting separated from her daughter and has to uh, look for her. Now the man that arrives with his pregnant wife, she ends up—he ends up saving the lead's life, but it also turns out he wants her uh, to help deliver his baby. And there's some really cool reveals uh, dealing with the pregnant mother, the baby, uh, the lead actress. She. Has a discovery about her daughter when she's looking for uh, some really emotional stuff here. There's also the father of the 10-year-old girl. He ends up showing up to try to rescue them. Uh, You find out about the lead's dark past that gets revealed. Uh, Some really hard-hitting emotional shit happens. and I wouldn't say all of it works, but a majority of it definitely works. There's also some solid zombie action. Some good gore. Some intense moments uh, for sure here. And there's one really cool fake out and it also has a really solid ending. So if you haven't seen this, it's a high recommend. That is Virus 32. All right, now moving on to my number 21 film of the year. Another recent watch and another one that I only saw once. And it is The Apology, another American production. This is directed by Allison Locke and it's actually her first film. And this is also streaming on Shutter. Twenty years after the dis- disappearance of her daughter, a recovering alcoholic is preparing to host her family's Christmas celebration when her estranged ex-brother-in-law arrives unannounced, bearing nostalgic gifts and a heavy secret. Now this film, I really can't say much at all without spoiling anything here. It's basically a two-person show. Uh, the lead actress, she's still mourning her character is mourning after the disappearance of her daughter 20 years prior. Uh, you end up finding out more about the relationship that this lady has with her ex-brother-in-law. They rehash old memories, and a big secret ends up being revealed. Uh, another film that has great emotional impact, fantastic performances by the two leads, and even has a pretty decent cameo by Janine Garofalo. Uh, I really don't want to say much more than that, Uh, if you haven't seen it, and it sounds pretty cool to you, if you like these uh, small, dialogue-heavy, emotional films, and this is definitely uh, should be your cup of tea here. Alright, now we're getting to our top 20, and my number 20 is a film that pretty much everyone had on their list. Uh, most people had it you know, higher on their list than what I have at, at number 20, but it's a film I definitely recommend, and it is called The Black Phone USA, directed by Scott Derrickson, which obviously he directed is Sinister, Doctor Strange, The Exorcism of Emily Rose, and I saw this on Amazon Prime. After being abducted by a child killer and locked in a soundproof basement, a 13-year-old boy starts receiving calls on a disconnected phone from the killer's previous victims. This actually had an $18 million budget, but it grossed $161 million worldwide. Uh, This is based on a story written by Joe Hill and all of his adaptions I've loved. And just like Brandon uh, Cronenberg here, the fruit doesn't fall far from the tree. Uh, The story is definitely the strongest part in my opinion. Uh, I actually loved how the previous ghost Help the kid out with subtle hits. Slowly making, basically he's making a trap to eventually try to escape. Uh, Ethan Hawke is fantastic. Uh, I really wanted more of his character though. I was kind of disappointed he wasn't in it. Now whether it was, uh, I don't know, whether it was Ethan in a flashback or him fucking around her for lead. I just felt it needed more of him. Another possible flaw in the story, which I really haven't heard anyone talk about, is his sister, his psychic sister trying to find him didn't actually really amount to much. Uh, I felt like her character being psychic was more of a convenience, a plot convenience at the end of the film. Uh, Because if you think about it here, without this sister being psychic, the events of the film really wouldn't have changed at all. (laughs) I know why she was uh, her character was there is more to set up the connection between the family, you know, help smoothing her father over and being there at the end of the film. Uh, And also to set up the fact that the psychic powers passed through their mother down to the children. Uh, I just kind of was a little bummed that her role didn't mean much more in the big scheme of things, because once again, if her character was not psychic, the events of the film Still wouldn't have changed. I mean, the boy would have had to walk home. (laughs) He wouldn't have had the uh, police and his family there waiting on him. Um, I just thought that was a missed opportunity and something I never really heard anyone point out before. But uh, overall, though, this film is a really well-made period piece that that worked here. Um, My biggest gripe is I wanted more Ethan Hawke. I wanted a little bit more evilness. I guess it felt a little tame. I know some people said it was a kid's horror movie, which I, I kinda get that. Uh I mean it's pretty intense, but I I wish they would have pushed the envelope a little bit further. Uh I just put it that way. I, but but as far as what we get, it's fantastic here. And I've seen it a few times. It's it's a good film. And that is the Black Phone. Now moving on to my number nineteen film of the year. Which I've heard a few people mention this film, but not not a whole lot. But I highly enjoy it, and that is Fresh. Another American film is directed by Mimi Cave. And this is actually her first full-length uh, movie that she directed. And it is streaming on Hulu. Uh, here's a synopsis. Frustrated by scrolling dating apps only to end up on a lame, tedious date, Noah takes a chance by giving her number to the awkwardly charming Steve after a produce section meet at the grocery store. A uh, fantastic setup to the film. It, it basically starts off almost like a romance movie uh i actually felt like tricking my wife telling her that it was going to be an awesome romance movie and then get her to start watching it and then start tripping out when the horror part, horror section hits <laughs> <laughs> uh i didn't do it but i felt like it here now sebastian stan which is the winter soldier uh how well, most people would know him from he he does a fantastic performance he was in consideration for my male performance of the year didn't end up getting it, uh, uh, which I'll explain later, but it, yeah, he was fantastic, man. His character, in general, he can be charming, but he can also play the dark and menacing, just as convincing. Uh, the story, in general, seems pretty familiar. It's just well done, and what really makes this film is the third act. The third act of the film gets fucking brutal. There's some definitely some cringe worthy, and, and when I usually when you say cringeworthy, you're like Not good, but there's some cringy. No, that's even worse. Never mind. There's (laughs) some of the things that happen makes you cringe. Put it that way in a good way. Uh, Also loved how the lead, uh, Noah, her best friend uh, in the movie was an awesome character here. She was basically out to help her no matter what the cost. Uh, Awesome character here. And that gets the friendship of the year for sure. (laughs) The best friend in a horror movie of the year. Um yeah, I love Fresh. Uh, another film I don't want to really spoil it if you haven't seen it, and I don't think it, a lot of people have seen it. Or not enough people for sure. But uh get on it. Watch The Winter Soldier. Evilness. All right, now moving on to my number 18 film of the year. And this is another film that I had higher up on my list, but upon a rewatch, it dropped and mainly dropped not because of the quality of the film it's more upon rewatch uh factor i've seen the film twice and i don't have the think i have the need to watch it again for another five to ten years but i enjoyed it obviously and it is what josiah saw another american production is directed by vincent Grashaw. this is his third film another film that is streaming on shutter here's a synopsis a family with buried secrets reunite at a farmhouse after two decades to pay for their past sins now the film uh, reminded me a lot like a Tarantino film not just the the look of the film uh, in the but it's really dialogue heavy and how it's structured in different parts Um, the way it goes from character to character uh, I really enjoyed that here so the first section of the movie is all about the uh, named character Josiah and his interactions with his abusive father at the family farmhouse, uh, moves on to the second section, which focuses on one of the brothers, which is Nick Stahl's character. Uh, he uh, lives out of a small trailer. He's, you find out he's been to prison. He owes people some money. He ends up agreeing to help some thugs out to steal some gold from traveling carnival gypsies. Uh, but he's not pure piece of shit. He has he has a heart, as he uh, displays in the movie. And finally, the third um, section of the film, it focuses on the daughter the sister, the married daughter. She's just still dealing with emotional issues. And by the end of the film, they all gather together at the family house. The uh, Nick Stahl and the sister, they're trying to convince Josiah to sell the uh, house and split the money. And in the last uh, act of the film, secrets are revealed. The stories tie all together, and it ends uh, with a violent ending here. Uh, And what put the cherry on top is the final flashback. It reveals to what really happened earlier in the movie. And I thought that was really cool. It was really well done, how that's cool. It was like, oh, man, that's fucked up. In a good way, though. (laughs) In an awesome way. All right, that's what Josiah saw. I recommend. All right, so that, oh, yeah, that was my first... 8 out of 10. Everything up to this point was 7.75 out of 10. And what Josiah saw, so from 18 all the way to number 7. So from 18 to 7, all of these films, I personally rate them an 8 out of 10. All right, now moving on to my number 17 favorite film of the year. It is an Indonesian film. Uh, It is directed by Joko Anwar. And it is called Satan Slaves Two Communion. <laughs> and Joko Anwar, he obviously directed uh, Satan Slaves Number One, and he also directed a film called Empedagore from a few years back on Shutter, which I absolutely love. Here, those he's on a roll for sure. Oh yeah, and he also uh, wrote that Black Magic. Oh, I can't remember the name of the movie. I'll look it up in a moment. But he actually uh, wrote that Black Magic movie, Indonesian movie. So the dude definitely has massive talent. So here's a brief synopsis on this here. After moving from their home to an apartment building, a new a terror awaits Rennie's family. Now, Satan Slaves 1 was a remake of a 70s film, and this is a sequel to the remake. Now the first film, a uh, minor spoiler, I mean, it's the setup of this film, but the first film basically ended with the family. Their ghost's mother ends up stealing the youngest son, and they end up going away so this film picks up a few years after that and the film the family is basically a father uh the daughter she's in her early 20s and a teenage son they all end up moving to this dilapidated apartment building on the outskirts of the city um the the building they live in is really trashy the elevator barely works the building is basically in shambles uh the mother Um, ends up, well, you don't know, is it the mother or is it some kind of other supernatural entity? They seem to be attacking people in the building, causing death and chaos. Uh, Now, what really makes this film is the final act of the film Uh, pretty much goes batshit crazy. The power in the building goes out, our characters have to survive the night while a bigger plot unfolds. A uh, great finale, great fi- uh, just a great film in general here. So it has some really solid gore to it. If if you haven't seen the first one, can you watch this one? Mm, not really. I think you really need to see the first one, especially to get used to the characters, because they are the same actors from the first film, same characters. Uh, and it, it just makes it a lot more sense, especially the finale makes more sense, too, if you've seen the first film. Uh, but, you know, both are on Shutter, so I highly recommend. Well, actually, the first one may not be on Shutter anymore. I can't remember if it was on Netflix. I can't remember. But anyway, they're um, they're streaming somewhere. So I highly recommend uh, this film, Satan Slaves from Indonesia. All right, moving on to my number 16 film of the year. Another recent watch and a one-time watch only. And it is The Menu, directed by Mark Mylod. I saw it on VOD, and it's also American production. A couple travels to a coastal island to eat in an exclusive restaurant where the chef has prepared a lavish menu with some shocking surprises. Now this film is nothing like I was expecting. When you hear about a horror film that centers around food, you automatically assume there's going to be cannibalism, but it wasn't about that at all. Uh, I had no idea where the story was going, but I enjoyed the journey. It has a good mixture of quirky characters and their interactions. I personally loved the to- to- tortilla reveal. Well, that, that was probably my favorite uh, scene of the whole movie. How they did that. Uh, plus Anya Taylor Joy, she's fantastic. Her interactions with uh, Ray Fiennes was was a high, definitely a highlight. Uh, I had no clue how the film was going to end. Uh, now they did end on kind of a far fetched but a clever way for one of her characters, uh, her decision to impact her fate, put it that way here. <laughs> it's um far fetched, but it does make sense here. Uh just really high production values, professional set design, professional production value, just a, a really well made movie that I think uh, most people enjoy. It has a dark humor, black humor to it. But highly enjoyable. And another one which potentially could go higher up if I rewatch it here. But I still enjoyed it quite a bit. Number 16, the menu. Alright, moving on to my number 15 film. And this is a film that, man, I wish more people saw it. Um, especially if you like Korean films. It's another South Korean one. It is called Midnight. And it's by a first-time director here, Oh Sung Kwon. And I saw this on uh, VOD. A serial killer ruthlessly hunts down a deaf woman through the streets of South Korea after she witnesses his brutal crime. Ah, uh, this is not really spoiling anything because who the killer is is not a mystery at all. He's revealed in basically in plain in plain sight at the very beginning of the movie. So the film is not a whodunit film at all. Here, the film basically focuses mainly on four other characters besides the killer. You have a deaf woman in her 20s. She picks up her deaf mother from work and drives her home. At the same time, uh, the other main characters, you have a cop. He's raising his teenage sister, and she ends up going out on a date. He warns her to be careful and come home early. So the serial killer he ends up kidnapping the girl on a date in his van. Not totally satisfied. He wants another victim. He also wants the young deaf woman. Uh, now, this film actually had some really cool gadgets and stuff um, that the deaf people use, which I personally wouldn't aware they even made. Uh, basically, the deaf women, they had uh, sound monitors in their car. And when someone gets close or the the car like lights up when someone's right by them. And also in their house, if someone enters in their apartment, they have it set up where their light flickers in their room. That way they know that someone else is there um also which i thought was really awesome and i guess i'm assuming this is true in parts of south korea if you're on the streets and you believe you're in danger you can run to a safe spot and push a button and what happens these floodlights shower the area and it activates a video camera and the cops come on the loudspeaker and talk to you uh the really cool scene with that in it here i've never seen that before but i'm assuming that's true Uh, But what makes this film is the cat-mouse games between the characters. You you have the off-duty cop. He's chasing the serial killer. Uh, The killer ends up chasing the deaf couple. The cop ends up having this moral dilemma, and he has to end up making a big decision. Now, the film doesn't have martial arts at all, but there is some really cool, brutal fight scenes and chase scenes. Uh, Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's as good as this film, but... If you enjoy I Saw the Devil, I'm pretty sure you would like this film also. There's some really tense scenes, especially with the, the deaf mother knowing that she's in the presence of the killer, but she doesn't have a good way to notify the police. Uh, the the Now, these characters, I'm assuming, were born deaf. Uh, so besides writing or typing, they have a, a very hard time conveying what they want to say to, to people that can hear. Which that plays you know pretty heavily into the movie. I'm not going to spoil anything, but that's definitely a major plot of the movie. Now this, but in general, this is a film that would only be done by South Koreans or take place in South Korea. Just a really unique film that I wasn't expecting at all, and I absolutely love it. I've seen it twice, and I definitely uh, will be rewatching it uh, probably fairly soon here. So it'd make a fantastic doubleheader with I Saw the Devil. Uh, yeah, another eight out of ten. I recommend it, and it has a plain name. It's just called Midnight. Alright, now moving on to my number 14 film of the year, Terrifier 2, directed by Dam, uh, Damien Leone. I saw this also on VOD. I know a lot of people saw it at the theater, and they thought they had a fantastic experience watching it with other people. And uh, I probably would have liked it like that too here, but hell, I cranked it up on my lgc1 and my surround sound system and i had a fantastic time too here after being resurrected by a sinister entity Arthur clown returns to miles county where he must hunt down and destroy a teenage girl and her younger brother on halloween night as the body counts rise the siblings fight to stay alive while uncovering the true nature of art's evil intent <laughs> now i've heard some people trying to defend the length of the film but I personally don't think it could be justified. If it had 20, 25 minutes cut out of it, I think the film would have flowed so much better. Hell, the one dream, dream sequence kind of at the beginning, the, I don't know what you call it, the game show dream sequence, that could have been trimmed almost all the way or even cut out altogether, and I, I wouldn't have minded at all. Um, now, obviously, I like this film even more than Terrifier 1. Terrifier 1 was a decent slasher. This is definitely up to Annie. Uh, fleshes out the story slightly more, still not quite enough story for my liking. Unless I'm just not reading all the clues that it gives in the film. Maybe I'm missing something. Uh, now, since this film though was a financial hit, most likely though they're probably explain more of the story in part three, which uh, I'll like that if they do that here. But uh, obviously the film has fantastic gore. Uh, the girl on the bed is contender for kill of the year the uh i I won't spoil it in case you've seen it but it's a fantastic kill the addition of the creepy little girl i thought that was a cool addition uh, to the mythology i like that uh the lead in the film she's absolutely beautiful uh i loved her outfit she ended up wearing the the last act of the movie (laughs) it was awesome uh but yeah a fun fucking film that just need to be trimmed Maybe though, someone will make a, a fan edit, uh, eliminating some unnecessary stuff. Either cutting out shit or, or I don't know. But I, I might would check it out if, <laughs> if there is one. All right. So moving on to I wish I knew how to do fan edits, man. I would, I would, I would have a bunch of edits if I if I knew how to do it here. As as I would add in a lot of deleted scenes for movies had no sense of it, no need for deleting. But anyway, that's a discussion for another time. Moving on to my number 13 film of the of the year, another American film directed by Zach Kreger, Barbarian. And I end up watching this not at the theater, but on HBO Max. In town for a job interview, a young woman arrives at her Airbnb late at night, only to find that it has been mistakenly double booked, and a strange man is already staying there. Against her better judgment, she decides to stay the night anyway, but soon discovers that there is much more to be afraid of in the house than the other house guests. Now I never, one great positive, I never watched a trailer on this film, never read the synopsis. I went in totally blind here. So the first half of the, half of the film I absolutely loved and the second half of the film I really liked. Now the interactions between Skarsgard and and our lead actress here, that was great. Uh not sure where their storyline is going, but I love how it ended with one of the characters in particular. Now, the second half of the film starts off, and you got Justin Long's character, which he is fucking fantastic, man. I pretty much love anything he does. But with his character, you, at the beginning, you start to wonder how the hell is he connected uh, to this house and the first two characters. But it gets revealed fairly quick here of how he's connected and what he does and doesn't know. Um, now, uh, I personally loved how they interspersed the backstory of Richard Brake here, the original house owner, and, and how the story uh, led up to, to modern day times. Uh, there's some great makeup effects. There's some really disturbing moments in the dark, some good action sequences. Uh, my main beef, which probably the main beef I heard uh, most people, Say is that the water tower gravity defying jump <laughs> to put it, lack of a better word here. Now you can ra- rationalize that scene a few different ways, but I don't know. They all seem far-fetched to me. I just wish they would have picked another way. They could have got the same result, just picked another way to, to do it here. Just a minor quibble though. I don't. The scene doesn't ruin the movie for me at all, but it probably does drop it down for making it a little bit higher on my list. Uh, still a fantastic movie that works here. Uh, you know, if you haven't seen most people haven't seen it, I'm sure. But all the elements, the horror elements that are in the film, I absolutely love. It, you know, reminded me of a few other films. And films that I generally love here. So, Barbarian, my number 13 of the year. All right, moving on to number 12. Another film that I heard next to nothing from other people, which kind of surprised me because... It ended up being on Shudder. Maybe Shudder's not as popular as as I assume here, um, because I really haven't heard much people mention this at all, but it is called On the Third Day from Argentina. It's directed by Daniel De La Vega, which he directed a film. I saw at a film festival about 15 years ago called Necrophobia 3D. Which, the film, wasn't that great, <laughs> to be honest with you, but it had fantastic atmosphere. I knew the, I knew the director definitely had talent. Alright, here's the synopsis on this one here. Cecilia and her son embark on a journey. On the third day, she is found wandering alone, not remembering what happened during this time. She is desperately looking for her son and finds herself wrapped in a brutal hunt, carried out by a religious fanatic whom she faces off against. To her, he's a lunatic. To him, Cecilia is the enemy. Now this one surprised me. Um, I saw. I actually saw it on Blu-ray a few months before they started streaming it on Shutter. It is an Argentinian film, but it looks like a film from the late '70s or early '80s. It it has that kind of look and influence. It reminded me of something like a, a Lumberto Bava film or Argento from that time frame. It is a creature feature flick with some definite Giallo influence to it. Um, now, some criticism I read on this online was nothing happened in the movie, which uh, I don't buy that. I don't get that at all. Nothing further from the truth, in my opinion. From the get-go, uh, from, uh, from the start of the movie, it is scene after scene. I thought it was really well-paced. Uh, the basic storyline is you have a woman and her son. They're traveling along the road when they have a collision. With another vehicle that's transporting some type of a box, I guess a coffin you could say. Whatever it is, it uh, there's a creature in there that, uh, after the car crash, it gets loose. And when the woman uh, ends up coming to a few days after the crash, she realizes her son is missing. She ends up going to the hospital, but she has to escape to go look for her son. And then you also have a detective and the son's father. They're also looking for uh, for the woman in the sun. It's really atmospheric. Um, one ballsy move early on in the story uh, something you don't normally see. You see our lead character does something that is a little bit shocking, and yet uh, as us as the audience, we're still supposed to be sympathetic to her situation and root for her. It's kind of a ballsy move, but uh, I I liked it here. But yeah, the the main um the main pros of this film is definitely the atmosphere it is atmospheric out the ass great cinematography music i like the story personally has solid makeup design uh the ending may not be quite as good as i was hoping in comparison to the rest of the film but it does have a a decent ending still i think it's adequate and if you haven't seen it man i and you love this uh, early giallo creature feature films then it's a high recommend I'm, I'm really surprised more people haven't seen this film or they just don't like it as much as i did here but that's a, obviously a high recommend for me all right another film that i haven't haven't heard enough love of but i have heard some people mention it is another american production another film that's on shutter it is called resurrection it is directed by andrew siemens Margaret's life is in order. She is capable, disciplined, and successful. Everything is under control until David returns. Excuse me. And he is carrying with him the horrors of Margaret's past. Now, this is another film uh, from Shudder. It stars Rebecca Hall. And once again, she knocks it out of the park. Uh, Between this movie and The Night House... Uh, She has two of the best performances in recent horror history here. You add in a creepy Tim Roth and you have a banger. Now the film is, oh man, it's a tough one to explain here, but the film is about a woman who has a teenage girl that's about to go to college. She's a successful businesswoman, but a man from her past shows up and seems to be stalking her. Uh, She eventually confronts him and we find out that he was her ex-lover 20 years prior and he used to emotionally abuse her with sadistic mind games she eventually tells the story to one of her employees in one of the best monologues uh, of the entire year and it's a pretty fucked up story that she ends up telling her uh, almost too unbelievable uh now the uh tim roth character he once again gets in her head and she has to deal with her past uh some people take the ending of the film to be actually literal uh but in the context of the movie it, to me it doesn't make sense to be literal i'm sure it's just some type of um, allegory about dealing with emotion emotional abuse uh possibly could be little here but i i took it as uh not literal here just uh, just a messed up film in general all around uh fucked up story but at the same time it's believable. Uh, I think they pulled it off. You just have to see what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm trying to avoid spoilers here, but uh, yeah, it's a fantastic film here and has a really cool bloody ending that I absolutely love. And this is going to get my one of my, reward, uh, my awards of the year, Rebecca Hall. She actually gets my um, performance of the year. All right, now moving on to my number 10 film. And this is a film I thought, no way in hell was this even sniff my top 30 i wasn't looking forward to it at all i actually waited till december to even watch it could have watched it several months earlier and without further ado it is a usa and serbian production and it is hellraiser directed by david bruckner which he obviously did the night house and the signal and it uh i saw it streaming on hulu a young woman struggling with addiction comes into possession Of an ancient puzzle box. Unaware that its purpose is to summon the Cenobites. A group of sadistic supernatural beings from another dimension. Now. uh, To get where I'm coming from. I'm not a massive fan of the franchise. I actually think the first two films are really good. And three and four are enjoyable in their own way. Um, I just think the, the first two are really good films. Don't get me wrong. I just don't think they're absolute classics that some people uh make them out to be i think the scope of the film is um i don't think the budget matches the scope of the film put it that way and i don't and the i know they can't really help it here but the the digital effects in the in the those two movies are really dated um it's hard to count that against it here i I, because i Overlook a lot of that stuff on probably some of my favorite films, but it's hard to overlook it here. So anyway, I, just in general, I like the Hellraiser films. I just don't love them. But this reboot, reimagining, uh, just blew me away here. I I should have known better though to doubt David Bruckner. um He is everything he's done. I pretty much enjoyed the the look of the film was fantastic. The cinematography, the gore, makeup effects. And what I actually enjoyed most of all is the story. Now, the League's character's uh, story arc uh, was believable. And it had a cool twist to the mythology of the box. Uh, I liked the roles of the different formations and what the different formations meant. I liked how the box worked by actually cutting the box holder with that knife thing that pops out. I thought that was awesome. Everything they added into the story, including... Who you can affect with the box was a really fresh take. Uh, I love what happened to our lead human villain. Uh, What ended up happening to him. uh, His situation I thought was awesome. I actually like to look at the Cenobites. It's not too much different from the original film. Just really really well done here. Now my only real big complaint I guess or I wouldn't say big complaint. I don't deduct anything for it. I thought the he she whatever it is pinhead i thought they were cool looking but i thought the voice also was over modulated i would have rather you uh, heard the actor's voice with a little bit of modulation to it but they use an extreme amount of modulation almost made it sound more like a robot monster than an evil human that's just a minor complaint but i i think they could have done that better um but this film is fucking fantastic I love the twists and the reveals, and I absolutely love the way it ended here. It is fucking, it, it just blew me away. I wasn't expecting much at all, and I absolutely loved it. I'm definitely hoping there's going to be some sequels. Fingers crossed that uh, Bruckner will direct those also. All right, now moving on to another film, which I don't think a lot of people, even if you saw it, well, one thing, I don't think a lot of people saw it, but number two, Even if a lot of people saw it, I don't think they would have it high on their list. It's just a movie that connected with me. It's another American movie. It's called A Wounded Fawn, also on Shudder. And it is directed by Travis Stevens, who I've also liked his uh, recent work. He directed Jacob's Wife and Girl on the Third Floor. A local museum curator who is dipping her toe back into the dating pool is targeted by a charming serial killer. When a fateful romantic getaway between the two becomes a tense game of cat and mouse, both must confront the madness within him. All right. It is, once again, a modern film it based, you know, the story takes place modern days, but it has the 70s and 80s grainy film aesthetic. The uh, story is this killer, the serial killer, which... You know, you see him, it's another one that's not a it. You, you know who the killer is. He gets outbid on this statue of these uh, Greek gods. He gets outbid for his client. So what he ends up doing, he ends up going to the woman they end up winning the bid. He ends up going to her house and he tells her that his client will pay double to buy the statue from her. She invites him in and he ends up killing her. Now the killer he ends up taking over her house and hides her body in a barrel in the woods. Uh, that's just the setup of the film, first 10 minutes. And once again, no big spoilers. Now we're introduced to her lead actress. She ends up working at this art museum and she's going out on a romantic weekend with her new boyfriend. And when the guy arrives, voila, it's the serial killer from the beginning of the film. Uh, once they arrive at the house, which is out in the secluded wooded area, Freaky shit immediately starts. You have these uh, disembodied voices, people in the shadows, and a lot more shit. (laughs) Uh, And this major event ends up happening. And a second half of the film turns into this surrealistic nightmare with our uh, lead character here. uh, The guy here, he's roaming around the woods confronting different beings and facing his past sins. Uh, I absolutely loved how this film was up to different interpretations. You know, was this film brain damage? Was it hallucinations? Was there actually something supernatural with the statue? Uh, The horror stuff, uh, what it actually reminded me of in the lighting, the lighting and the um, set designs, it reminded me a lot of Japanese horror movies, old school ones like Hazu and other stuff from that uh, era. Um, which really clicked with me. I absolutely love the look of that film here. and The film in general looks fantastic. Now, as far as the story, I normally hate this type of surrealistic stuff, but for some reason, this film clicked with me, and I really dug it. Uh, Sarah Lind, who is the main actress here, she plays Meredith. She is fan-fucking-tastic here. I, I knew she looked familiar, uh, but she definitely needs to be in more stuff. She was uh, in Wolf Cop, uh, she was in Haunting of Molly Hartley. She played Monty, uh, Molly Hartley. Hopefully, she'll be in more films in the future because I thought she was a fantastic actress. Also, our lead guy in the film, Josh Rubin, the guy who played Bruce, he was also great. Um, what, what I saw him in previously, he acted and directed in a film called Scare Me from a Few Years Back. It's where they tell stories, scary stories to each other. Uh, it's like a horror comedy and I thought he was fantastic in that and he's also fantastic in this and what, he, what he's actually known for for most horror people he also directed Werewolves Within from uh, last year and that was, uh, if you didn't hear my last year's show I wasn't a big fan of Werewolves Within I liked the uh, eight, was it, AT&T girl I thought she was good but I pretty much hated almost all the other characters in the film I didn't really find it funny at all Um, But this actor guy, he's the guy who directed that film. Alright, so that was my number 9 film of the year. And moving on to my number 8. Which, this is a film I understand why people didn't see it. Uh, I have a feeling they saw the title of the film. Or the artwork of the film, possibly. And just thought, oh man, this is another straight-to-video piece of shit. But it is far from that. And my number 8 film of the year is the exorcism of god and it's a co-production from mexico venezuela and the u.s the director is alejandro Hidalgo and i didn't see the film but he directed one uh, a movie called the house at the end of time uh, i've heard the title before but i personally had not seen it and this film it is out on dvd uh, it was actually selling at walmart for a while but how i, how I saw it was on vod So here's the brief synopsis: An American priest working in Mexico is considered a saint by many local uh, parishioners. However, due to a botched exorcism, he carries a seeker that's eating him alive until he gets an opportunity to face his demon one final time. (laughs) Now the film starts off with this woman she's possessed, and her lead character Father Peter Williams. He's attempting to exorcise the woman. Fast forward 18 years later. And, you know, finding out that the night, um, the people in the church, they actually think the exorcism was a huge success. uh, But more happened that night than what the father is telling people. Now, this particular demon is back and has now possessed a teen girl. So the local authorities contact the father to help him out. Uh, The father, which is holding the secret of what happened that night. He ends up contacting another father who who basically taught him the rules and how to do uh, exorcisms. He invites him to come down to Mexico with him to help him exorcise this woman. Uh, fantastic nightmare sequences. There is a jump scare involving a demonic Jesus that definitely gets my award for jump scare of the year. I swear. And, uh, holy shit, I jumped out of my place when I saw that. Um and what's kind of cool is uh no oh yeah i said demonic jesus which is not really a a spoiler because you see this character this uh demon jesus character you actually see him several times throughout the movie now the possessed woman uh she is so dangerous she's actually locked up in some type of prison asylum it's hard to describe it here kind of reminded me of arkham asylum in the uh, batman video games here but they have bars locked steel doors everywhere just a really dark and decrepit place fantastic set design fantastic place to set up the finale uh you have uh, the finale here you have multiple possessions of other insane people demonic jesus is back and the finale just goes off the rails but in a good way uh the ending was not what you most likely would expect And the title of the film finally makes sense. Uh, How I frame this movie is basically a B-level story with A-minus production. On paper, if you were to read this on paper, it probably sounds silly. Uh, But the film, the horror element, is treated very seriously. Uh, Also, the father, Will Beinbrink, I believe is the actor's name. I don't know how you say it, but Will Beinbrink. He actually played Tom from It Chapter 2. He is actually terrific in this film. Uh, What I also thought was pretty cool is how they naturally aged him from the beginning of the film to 18 years later. How they did it naturally without makeup or CGI. I thought that was a pretty brilliant way to do it here. Basically, to spoil it, when he's younger, he has no beard and his hair is slicked back. And then when he's older, he has... a uh, full beard of gray hair and his and his hair is totally different uh, but fantastic way to aid someone without using shitty CGI <laughs> uh, speaking of CGI the CGI in the film is actually really well done uh, I like the, the look of the creatures as you will the demons uh, they have this specific look to them with their eyes I thought it was uh, pretty awesome uh, great, so great makeup effects and great CGI effects overall Alright, so that, if you like possession movies at all, if you like these B-level type possession movies, uh, that's really well done, then this is a high recommend. That's my number 8 film of the year, The Exorcism of God. Alright, my number 7 film is a Spanish film. Uh, it's directed by Alex de la Iglesia, which is the director of The Last Circus and Witching and Bitching. Two pretty unique films uh, that I I actually like them both quite a bit here. So I was looking forward to this film. Yeah, I saw it on Amazon Prime VOD. Uh, the name of the film, uh, I'm probably saying it wrong, but Venetia Frenia? I'm sure it's pronounced different here, but that's how it's spelled at least, Venetia Frenia. And here's the synopsis first. A group of Spanish tourists in Venice find themselves fighting for their lives against locals that are not too keen on foreigners. Now, I almost didn't put this movie on the list just due to the fact that I know that most people didn't get a chance to see it. It is one of these films, which just happened also a few years ago uh, with a movie called The Pool, where what they do is on Amazon Prime, they show it on VOD a few days, while at the same time it's also be shown, being shown at a festival. Um uh, and after a few days they end up pulling it and you don't and you have no chance of seeing it again until they release it again and that's what happened to this film it showed at a festival and it was on amazon vod uh, i believe for three days is all it was on there so i watched it during that time frame and they yanked it i had no idea they were going to yank it uh, but i love this film so i had to include it on my list so if you didn't get to see it then that is this is a film that you definitely should look forward to i'm assuming in 2023 is going to be released here uh it's a really unique film it's essentially a slasher uh but it also has giallo elements and a heavy political message now the basic storyline follows true events Uh, so you have this group of five friends from spain that are on a bachelorette party For our lead character named Issa. They arrive at Venice and step off the cruise ship to a protest. Now, when I say this is based on uh, true events, about from my research here, 2016, the residents of Venice got tired of uh, cruise ships coming into the port. They said two things here it's ruining the eco life in Venice, and number two, the cruise ships are so ugly. That they think it hurts the the beauty of the city, so they started doing protests to get these cruise ships uh, from bringing. They don't mind the tourists, of course. They want the tourists' money. They just uh, don't want them to the cruise ships to drive straight into the port. Uh, apparently, it's they're making a new port well, uh, right outside of Venice that you can do. I don't know, but it is based on true story though. So I thought that that was pretty cool that I had no idea about. Um, So, where where was that in the story? Okay, so this group of five friends, they arrive at Venice. And uh, in order to get to the main part of the island, you still have to ride on another little small boat. And the boat captain named Giacomo, he takes them on a ride to the mainland. And also as a passenger, you have this dude, he's dressed up as a jester. Uh, He's a, a local there. Now, the Jester ends up fucking with the characters, pissing them off, and and Giacomo ends up kicking them off the boat. Uh, you find out very soon afterwards that this Jester, in broad daylight, usually kills Taurus, sometimes in front of other Taurus, but they all think it's part of an act that he's doing, so they don't really realize he's killing people in broad daylight. Uh, so that, you know, once again, is not a whodunit. The Jester, you know from right from the beginning that he's the killer of the movie, now the friends, a group of friends, they go out to eat at night, uh, they dress up in powder wigs, big dress, uh, you have the ballroom mask, and they get invited to this exclusive party. So they end up going to this club, and while they're at the club, the brother of Issa, our lead character, uh, earlier in the film, he actually lost his cell phone, he dropped it in the water, and he lost his passport, he ends up going missing. Um, so the brother, he ends up going missing here and Issa and her friends, they start to search for the brother and they eventually get the police involved. Now the police don't necessarily believe them, uh, because there's no proof. There's no photographic evidence that he was with them. And they also, uh, the brother didn't officially check into the hotel because he had a passport. He snuck in there. Uh, so the cop reluctantly still decides to help him out. Now, the boat captain from the beginning of the movie, jo- uh, Giacomo, he's a local. And I think he likes her lead uh, lady, Issa, so he starts to help her out. Uh, so basically in the film, you have clues start to unravel about where the brother is. Uh, the jester starts to hunt down the characters one by one to kill them. Then you have a big uh, confirmation a climax uh, about 15 minutes before the film ends, which the climax uh, happened that uh 15 minutes before the movie ends, I think would piss a lot of people off because there's a much bigger picture to the story, but the but the basic finale does happen at this abandoned playhouse, uh, fantastic gnarly kills and traps that are set, so really well done. This is another one that has fantastic cinematography, and then uh, once you have the big confrontation, the last 15 minutes, some people may or may not care for it because it is definitely gets political. Uh, it may seem a little bit anticlimactic, but me personally, I was okay with it. Uh, but the movie has some amazing practical kills, uh, which are stabbings, beheadings and, and, and much more here. Great production value. I mean, fantastic production value. I think it looked, it looked amazing. It has a great musical soundtrack and score. Uh, one thing I really enjoyed is you actually feel like you visited Venice by the end of the film. I mean, they go up and down the streets and in great detail throughout the night and throughout the, few, uh, the the days after here. So you end up seeing a great big portion of the town and the characters walking around. It just, you just have a sense of being there itself. It does a, a better job of that than most movies that uh, that do the same thing. So this is a high recommend. Hopefully it will be showing in the next few months soon. So look out for it. Once again, it's called Benicia Phrenia. V-E-N-E-C-I-A, F-R-E-N-I-A, all as one word, Benicia frenia that sounds like scared of Venice maybe, I have no idea, It's probably a made up word, uh, but that's the name of the movie, and my number 7 of the year, I recommend, alright moving on to my number 6 film of the year, and this is a film I gotta give Watson credit for having me rewatch, I saw it once, and due to time constraints, I didn't plan on re-watching it. But once I heard Watson rave over it, uh, I just had to rewatch it. And it's a good thing I did here. And my number six film and from Taiwan is The Sadness. And it's directed by Rob Jabas, which is actually a Canadian uh, director. It's kind of unique uh, Canadian director, but a uh, Taiwan film. And it's uh, also on Shutter. A young couple is pushed to the limits of sanity as they attempt to be reunited amid the chaos of a pandemic outbreak. The streets erupt into violence and depravity as those infected are driven to enact the most cruel and ghastly things imaginable. Uh, This is, I'll be honest, this is one film I let the hype get to me. I was, from what I heard, I was expecting a near porno. (laughs) With all the discussion I heard about the uh, perversion of the film i was expecting i don't know full frontal or maybe penetration and my first watch when none of that happened i was kind of disappointed uh now i knew the gore was really well done but upon rewatch um i didn't realize how well done the gore was it the, especially the what do you call it the the train scene with the knifing. When I first saw it, it didn't really have much of an effect. And then this time watching it, another one I was like, "Ooh shit!" I was feeling it. It was such a well done bloody scene. Um, the gore just hit harder. Uh, the train, like I said, the train scene had me cringing. The old man, uh, rager. I guess you can't call them zombies. Maybe a rage, a rage virus. who was <laughs> it? Uh, 21 weeks later, whatever the old man though, he was fantastic. He was the best, um, rager in my, mo- uh, in my opinion, his eye fuck scene was a uh, pretty damn great. Uh, some other highlights, the basket of oil, I guess it was fries. They were cooking that, that kid was uh, amazing kid getting rammed in the nutsack. That was awesome. Uh, the baby scene, baby scene was just fucked up. Wouldn't gory, but it was fucked up. Just so many fantastic moments in the film and the lead actress, whoo, she was, she was beautiful too. So that that definitely helped. Uh well, just a really well-made awesome zombie rage film. I highly recommend obviously. Um I saw it like I said upon second watch. I liked it so much more than the first watch. Uh they could have went more hardcore, I guess, but I don't know if that would have made the film even better. So I, I think the decision how they how they still went gory, but at the same time, it was tasteful. If that's a, <laughs> a way of putting it, they could have they could have definitely went more hardcore, and and uh, it probably would have got more notoriety, but maybe less views. Who knows? But a uh, really well made uh, zombie infection film. The sadness, big thumbs up. All right, and now oh yeah, I forgot the ratings here. Now, starting at number uh, all the way through eight, there was uh actually through seven was eight out of ten. And this is a 8.25 out of ten for the sadness. Now, my number five uh, film of the year, also give an 8.25. Another American film. It is directed by Ty West. I saw it on VOD, and it is Pearl. Trapped on her family's isolated farm, Pearl must tend to her ailing father. Under the bitter and overbearing watch of her her devout mother, lusting for a glamorous life like she's seen in the movies, Pearl's ambitions, temptations, and repressions all collide in the stunning, technical, or inspired origin story of X's iconic villain. Now, when I first heard about Pearl and how it was made while making X, I was hoping that it wasn't some type of rush mess. I had afraid that it was going to have no killing. Uh, but nope, we get a fantastic origin movie, uh, one that shows Pearl's ambitions, her rough home life, and a lot of craziness. Uh, how how the craziness is formed in her character that led to her actions in the movie X. So watching Pearl actually made X even better, uh, especially that one line makes more sense in X when she's when Pearl says. Um, I hate blondes, (laughs) and you get it because it's a direct reference to her sister, Law and Pearl. So I thought that was awesome. Uh, Mia Goth has some fantastic moments, especially in Pearl when she first flips out on the movie theater dude, and her delusions about her uh, singing on the chorus line that was awesome. And of course, the best performance is the dialogue scene, which is the the monologue at the end of the film is. My opinion, the dialogue scene of the year It even beats Resurrection as a pretty good damn good uh, monologue, but this even tops it here. So that is the dialogue scene of the year. My word for that, where she is telling her sister-in-law about everything she's done and what she plans to do. Uh, But Pearl just has beautiful to look at. I love the Technicolor look of it. Fantastic pacing. Uh, It has awesome old school type music that fit the movie perfectly. Uh, Fantastic dialogue, fantastic performances. And Fantastic Kills. Uh, What can I say? My number five film of the year, uh, Pearl. An 8.25 out of 10. All right. Now moving on to number four. And this film heard some love. Not as much love as I'm about to give it. But I have heard some people say they like it. And it is a creature feature film. uh, Kind of. (laughs) It is uh, directed by Dan Trachtenberg. It is Prey. And Dan also directed 10 Cloverfield Lane. And this film is streaming on Hulu. On the Great Plains in 19... In, uh, let me start over. On the Great Plains in 1719, Naru, a fierce and highly skilled Comanche warrior, sets out to protect her people when an unknown danger threatens them. But the prey she's stalking turns out to be a highly evolved alien predator with a technically advanced arsenal. All right, this is the best action horror film in forever, uh, maybe since Overlord, and it is actually my second favorite Predator movie in the entire franchise. Uh, I did hear some complaints about some of the CGI and also her complaints of how unrealistic it was, especially for a female Native American. Um but i didn't i didn't have an issue with any of that here it's about obviously a predator comes down to earth uses humans as a sport uh which to be honestly that sounds more far-fetched than having uh a young woman kick ass (laughs) now me personally i love the predators new weapons especially the usage of the shield in the in the in the movie there's a couple different things he does with that i thought was awesome uh, now, any movie that has a dog sidekick, that's going to get some points also. I thought the dog was awesome. Um, but what I really liked of the movie is the story element, too, I thought it was pretty strong. I love the the honor element, uh, the culture of the Native Americans, and, and how this character, she was able, not just on strength, but she was basically able to outsmart the alien with her observations, um, making her own yo-yo hatchet as a weapon, for example, that was awesome. Now, some of the CGI that was wonky was mainly having to do with the bear scene, which I agree, the CGI in that scene is pretty spotty. But the majority of the film, I thought the CGI was fantastic. Uh does have some great predator kills, great atmosphere, especially in the scenes where it's really smoky and foggy. I think those are really atmospheric and awesome. Uh, absolutely loved it. Uh, the, uh, the girl herself, the actress, she actually reminded me, of a younger native american uh aubrey plaza <laughs> uh yeah i thought she was a fantastic actress i i should have looked up her name but she was great and I, lo- I like how they also uh made the film now i didn't watch it here the, the version i watch is i've seen it actually seen this three times with different people and all three times i watched the english version but i know there's also a comanche language version Which, that ought to be pretty unique to watch it that way. I don't know if I'd like it more or not. Maybe. But I'm glad they uh, put that option in there, at least. So, another fantastic predator film, Prey. My number four. Alright, now we're getting to my top three. And, you know, pretty soon... Well, actually not my number three, but number two and one are going to be some controversial picks. (laughs) I'm assuming here. I didn't do it on purpose. They're truly my favorite films of the year. But my number three, though, is another American movie by Ty West, and it is X. And I saw this on a VOD. In 1979, a group of young filmmakers set out to make an adult film in rural Texas. But when their reclusive elderly hosts catch them in the act, they cast that the cast find themselves fighting for their lives. Now most any other year this film probably would have been my number one. It's a professionally made slasher that ticks so many boxes. Uh Ty West nailed the seventies era without having to go gimmicky with the faux grindhouse look, you know, the fake scratches. Uh even though the characters were quote unquote morally compromised in most people's eyes for making this porno, I thought all the characters were actually really likable in their own way uh Kid cuddy and Britney Snow, I thought they were great together, and their song they did on the acoustic guitar, I thought that was awesome. They just added that extra layer of depth to the characters. Which, what is funny about this? Well, one thing I don't know, no idea who the fuck Kid cuddy is. I don't listen to rap that hardcore to know. Uh, I know he's someone famous, but I I don't personally know his stuff. But what surprised me is when I was looking up the notes for this movie, is the blonde is Britney Snow. I knew she looked familiar, but I had no clue that it was her until I saw the notes. I was like, oh, no wonder she looked familiar, but she was fantastic. Now, the setup of the film in general is great. I love the dialogue and the actions of the uh, the boyfriend cinematographer. Man, whenever he finds out that Jenna Ortega wants to, to film a scene in the movie, his interactions um, were so realistic, and the and the uh, Luke Wilson-looking leader of them. He has, in my opinion, the line, uh, the line of the movie, which is, oh, I hate to, t- oh, I hate to be the one to tell you this, but ain't none of them nice girls. <laughs> I just fucking love that, the, that, line of the movie. So true. And so awesome. Now what's, um, what's cool in the, the movie in general has some really cool kills. Uh, what I liked is the old trick of. With the movie i'm I'm reading my notes, and I'm all fucked up here okay oh okay i now understand my notes <laughs> uh what is funny and in a movie that does have several cool kills, uh, what gets to me is the old trick of having a character step on a nail that got to me the most cringe reaction for me from the entire movie is whenever he did that uh but the um while well, my kill of the year happens to be in my number two film of the year. There is also really cool kills in this one. Uh, I would say Pearl's first kill was awesome. Uh, there's also a film. Uh, also Maxine's final kill of the movie. Uh, which is pretty awesome kill too. Which this reminds me of. Which uh, should I should have spoil it. But anyway I'll spoil it here. In this film. Put it this way. There is a head crush. Someone gets ran over. Their head gets ran over by a car tire. Which there's another movie this year it didn't make my top 30 but it had another fantastic head crush by a car and it's a movie called sissy now sissy i think well i didn't make my kill of the year it was up there it had i would say the most realistic looking head crush by a car tire that i've ever seen uh, i'm assuming it was uh cgi that did it but it was it was a fucking fantastic kill it, Even though I like Sissy, I think the movie is worth watching just for that one kill. Um, But anyway, X has some fantastic kills in it. While I gave Rebecca Hall my female uh, performance of the year, I'm going to give Mia Goth my award for actress of the year for having two films worth of fantastic performances, both Pearl and X. She's great in. Um, But you could also make a case that Jenna Ortega uh, could be... Actress of the year also with her strong performances in this movie, Scream, uh, and Wednesday. <laughs> she she knocked it out of the park with all of her performances. And in particular, Scream. She's actually really fantastic at Scream. I'm surprised at how good of a job she did in that. And she is um she has more to do in that movie, put it that way. Alright, and so that's X. What can I say? It's a slasher film. It gets the period piece right. Ty West is on a fucking roll, man. Two films in the top five. I can't even remember the last time a director did that on any of my lists. Maybe it's happened before. I haven't looked that closely, but what can I say, man? He did a fantastic job, and I can't wait to see his uh, end of this trilogy called Maxine. I believe it comes out later this year. All right, so now's when the controversy is going to start to kick in a little bit. Uh, both of these films... Are both loved by some people, but they're definitely hated by a lot of people. And my number two film of the year is Texas Chainsaw Massacre, directed by David Blue Garcia, um, which Garcia enjoyed it. Nah, never mind. That's a bad joke. Anyway, uh, where David Blue Garcia is from, he was a cinematographer for Bloodfest. And this is the only film on my list that uh, was on Netflix. In this sequel, influencers looking to breathe new life into a Texas ghost town encounter Leatherface, an infamous killer who wears a mask of human skin. <laughs> now, at the beginning of the film, I mentioned how Jason Unleashed is a once-a-year podcast. But last year, to 2022, I actually made two different podcasts. I did my best in 2021, and I also released a podcast uh, on... Texas Chainsaw on this movie and what I did was uh, because the reason why I did that is once this movie was released I heard all the hate and misinformation about the film I just had to do a podcast where I did a scene by scene review of the film so I'm not going to get too detailed in-, in this review but if you want to hear my thoughts on the entire film go back and listen to that podcast on darkdiscussions.com which while I'm at it I, man, I totally forgot to think uh philip uh philip parent at the beginning of the podcast once again thank you for hosting this podcast and if you're not subscribed to dark discussions and the other podcasts on the website I, they're they're all high recommends man philip's awesome guy everyone in, involved with the website is awesome so make sure you check them out now while the text chainsaw massacre film started off with what seemed like a woke message uh... by the end of the film it actually ended up being quite the opposite even the girl that's suffering from PTSD uh, because of a school shooting 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 <laughs> let me start over here even the girl that suffers from p d s d because of the school shooting she was even interested in a gun and even guns end up helping save their lives in the uh... when all said and done Um and another complaint i heard was the Sally Hardesty character I personally had no problem with her role in the film Uh, I think she had an important role without being a Laurie Strode clone Uh, you know some people wanted her I guess to be the the, you know she wasn't set up as a main person so I thought it was fitting uh, fitting, um, into her character she got to face Leatherface and she helped her characters at the end and and, you know once again I'm, I'm glad it wasn't uh, a decision to be a Lori Strode clone um, and another thing I loved about this film is the decision to make it a sequel to the original and I think they actually came out with a pretty damn good explanation of how all this was even possible and this movie gets my award for kill of the year now when I give a, when I pick my kill of the year I don't just base it on the best looking kill or even the most creative kill But it's generally a combination of all of that, plus the emotional impact it has uh, on the character that's being killed. Now, in this film, when we're introduced to one of our uh, main characters, our mechanic cowboy from the town, the local, I was assuming the way his character was set up, he was going to be final three, if not final two. But his brutal kill by the sledgehammer, that was top notch. It was just so well choreographed. uh, Just fantastic practical effects first Leatherface leather face breaking his knee with the sledgehammer and then uh the kill shot um just a fantastic kid but like i said it was so brutal It had me like oh man i just felt it it had me Actually, fist-pumping. It was such a good kill. And also the very first kill in the movie with the bone stab. uh, Put it there. He breaks the the guard or the cop's bone and stabs his own neck with it. That was also a fantastic fist-pumping kill. Uh, And this actually is the first Chainsaw Massacre film to actually have a massacre (laughs) uh, on the bus here. Now, I I thought the finale uh, was actually top-notch one of the best finales especially for a slasher film of the year and the cherry on top was the beheading while the sister looks on in the uh self-driving car uh i thought that was a fantastic fucking end i i like the finale and i love the ending now from what i've read and seen i think the movie did fairly well as far as views so hopefully there will be another sequel that is coming especially the way this film ends with Leatherface going to the the iconic house uh hopefully in the next sequel uh it'll be maybe some of the family maybe meets a new family maybe some of his old family come back I have no idea how they're going to explain it away but I'm uh, highly looking forward to it and it is uh what can I say man it's a fantastic fucking slasher that that's all I want is some a uh, decent story some good kills and the, this Uh, delivered on all fronts in my opinion and that is my number two film so that leaves my number one film and good thing i didn't lead with this and do the countdown backwards (laughs) because if i would have picked this uh if i would have mentioned this film first i think a lot of people listening to this podcast right now probably would have shut it off and not continue to hear the rest of the podcast uh this film i never i can't even fathom a film i can't even remember a film they had this uh, much hate um, I think people hate this film even more than The Last Jedi and uh, I don't know I could be wrong but if you haven't guessed by now my number one film of the year by far not even close and I'm being serious not trying to be a troll it is Halloween Ends directed by David Gordon Green and I saw it streaming on Peacock Alright, the synopsis, Corey Cunningham, fuck some shit up. (laughs) Um, I honestly, I'll be honest, I honestly don't get the vile hatred for this film. I can see possibly being disappointed or not being what you expected. uh, But the movie is so well done, I I just don't get it. The script in general is fantastic, the character building, the relationships... The dialogue, everything, which is all on point. Uh, the film also had this Christine vibe, which I absolutely loved. Um, now, what I think a lot of people wanted was a twenty to thirty minute brawl between Laurie and Michael, some kind of type of epic comfort, confrontation between the two. I guess Jason versus Fred, Freddie versus Jason, whatever the fuck. I don't know if some people were expecting that or wanted that, but when that didn't happen, I think that alone pissed a lot of people off. Uh, I personally love the storyline, though, how the movie's theme was more about the town of Haddonfield and how the effects of evil had upon it. Um, even though Michael, he ended up surviving Halloween kills, you got to realize he was brutally fucked up, and by the time this film, he was three years older. So I like the angle that he wasn't as strong as he was and the other two films. And how the evil in general can be passed along from one character to another. Uh, especially if there's evil already boiling down deep inside themselves. I thought the acting in general is fantastic. Uh, I love that Allison had a bigger role in the film. And I thought Laurie's role was well done. It it just enough in my opinion. Now the one one of the best characters in the movie was actually the stepdad. I loved his advice to Corey, and basically, he admitted that he was trapped <laughs> in his situation with the mother. Uh, just a fantastic character. Just little stuff like that just added so much depth to it. Uh, great kills, especially. Uh, the doctor and nurse. Uh, I thought that was a fantastic kill. There's some great atmosphere. Uh, the junkyard. And now, my, my favorite, I would say my favorite scene of the year is, um, probably where Corey goes and confronts Michael and has to steal the mask away. The whole, the whole way it was framed and the way it looked, I just thought that was just fucking fantastic. It was probably my favorite non-graphic horror scene of the year here. Yeah. The junkyard scene that also had some fantastic kills. The DJ kill was top notch. Um, just some fantastic cinematography. Uh, Rohan Campbell, um, he, he was another consideration for me for a male performance of the year. I I thought he was fantastic as Corey here. I heard people complain about Lindsay's small role in the film, but I thought she was in there adequately enough to add to the story. Uh, introducing, uh, let me see, what was I saying? Oh, yeah, I think Lindsay's scene where she introduces Lori to the father Uh, of the kid that Corey killed at the beginning of the uh, the film, I thought that was an important enough scene on its own. I thought uh, Lindsay's adding to that was enough to to satisfy uh, her addition to the film, in in my opinion here. I love that the storyline is, and I loved how the movie ended with there's no hope of Michael ever coming back. Now, to all the haters that hate this film, think about all the other franchise-ending Halloween films. Halloween six that ended a storyline. Resurrection ended a storyline. H two ended Rob Zombie storyline. All of those were basically a particular uh, ending of a storyline and most people end up hating those. Now this in comparison is miles better than those. So if those get all the hate, why is this even more hated? I just I just don't get it here. Now uh <laughs> to be honest with you, after rewatching it, I've seen it four times now. That's how much uh, I love this film. I even showed it to my son, and he was blown away. He says, I don't get the hate. After he watched it, I said, son, do you know there's people that absolutely despise this film? He, he, he doesn't keep up with anything horror-related or the horror scene. And he was shocked. He's like, I have no clue why. I think it's an awesome film. I said, did you have a problem with the lack of Michael? He had zero problem, you know he's seen the whole trilogy with me, and he thought he thought all of them were awesome, and he thought this was easily the best of the three um so I don't know, I just don't get the hate of it here, but uh, after the four watches, I gotta say it's my second favorite in the entire franchise. the original, of course is tops um and this is uh, my second favorite, even surpassing uh, the original Halloween two. and obviously, it's my number one film. Of 2022 and it gets a 9 out of 10 alright so now to recap uh, a few things here on my top 30 hope you enjoyed that and here is a breakdown of where the films were produced 20 out of these 30 films were US productions or at least co-productions Two, uh, there was two of them that were Argentinian produced, two South Korean, one Japan, one UK, one Denmark, one Netherlands, one Spain, one Australia, one Ireland, one Mexico, one Venezuela, one Serbia, one Italy, one France, and one one from Taiwan. So two thirds of the films were American produced. So I know uh, the mantra a few years back was American sucks a horror uh, foreign horror is the only way to go. But once again we prove. That America is the best still at war, uh, But some strong contributions from other countries still. Alright, and then here is the breakdown on how I watched them. Twelve of these films I saw on VOD. Nine were Shutter, Three on Hulu. Two on Amazon Prime. Two HBO Max. One Peacock and one Netflix. That, that's disappointing that Netflix only had one. And... Shudder. Knocked it out of the park with nine of these fucking films on Shudder. And there's a few others I didn't even mention that I actually enjoyed quite a bit. So Shudder is killing it, man. It's definitely, if you're not subscribed to Shudder, it's, it's worth uh, all that and a bag of chips. It's worth the five bucks or whatever the fuck it is. Now, here's my thoughts on a few other films. Now, some of the other major films that didn't make my top 30 but that I enjoyed, Smile, and Nope, I give both of those a solid seven and a half. Uh, unfortunately, Nope probably gets my word for most disappointing of the year. Uh, even though, obviously, I like it with the seven and a half, I I don't like it near as much as uh, Us or Get Out. Those, to me, are eight and nines. I mean, fucking awesome films, and I, I had high expectations for Nope. And it just didn't didn't live up to it for me. I I enjoyed it. Don't get me wrong here. but I just don't think it's the story or the uh, direction is near as uh, well made as the other two films. Uh, But I like both those. and over seven and a half. Scream 5, I rewatched it. Getting ready to see part six. Upon second watch, I didn't like it as much. I'm still giving Scream 5 a seven out of ten. It's an, you know, uh, above-average slasher still, for sure. I think I'm kind of getting tired of the Scream formula. <laughs> it is, uh, so far, Scream 5 was the weakest of all of I them. Mean, I think it's even slightly weaker than Part 3. Um, hopefully, Part 6 will bring the goods. One thing I noticed about Part 6, was it definitely had a, a Saw type of vibe, which I'm a massive fan of the Saw series, so hopefully that is true. But I'm still looking forward to Scream 6. But Scream 5 was enjoyable. It was a 7 out of 10. Now to give away some uh, remaining awards, uh the hottest woman in the horror film this year. I'm going to give that award to Perry Matfield from another film on Shutter called Who Invited Them. And if you don't know who the actress is, she is the star of uh In the Dark about a blind woman and she's also was in Shameless. I didn't I watched one season of Shameless and I hated it so much. I was like I'm never watching this piece of shit again. Uh, I, I can could see why people like it, but that movie uh, that TV show is just not for me, but apparently she was in that TV show and she was a star and she's a star of in the dark. But anyway, she's she's fucking breathtakingly beautiful in this movie. And that is who invited them. All right, and then what I'm also going to get, this leads into my hidden gems. So now I have five films that are hidden gems. All of these didn't make my top 30, but but I'm uh, highly recommending them and leading into that though is my male performance of the year and my male performance of the year goes to jeremy gardner from the leech which the leech will be my first pick for uh hidden gem and uh if you don't know who jeremy gardner is he was the main star he actually directed and starred in both the battery and after midnight so that's that bigger guy with a beard basically is, is who jeremy here he is. So the uh so the leech here, that's my first vote for Hitting Jim. And here's a story about this. It's a devout priest welcomes a struggling couple into his house on Christmas at Christmas time. What begins as a simple act of kindness quickly becomes the ultimate test of faith once the sanctity of his home is jeopardized. <laughs> Graham Skipper he ends up playing the priest, and Jeremy Gardner is the leech, along with his slutty white trash girlfriend uh so as i read this priest ends up finding a guy gives him a ride home he goes when it's he once he gets to his home all of the shit is out in the front yard his girlfriend kicked him out uh he tells the priest uh, he'll just sleep under a bridge and the priest's like nah man you got to come stay at my house uh at least for the night so he goes to stay there and then the guy basically takes advantage of the priest he ends up inviting his girlfriend over uh which her girlfriend actually ends up getting kicked out of her house so they're both leeching, that's the title of the film, the leeching, they're both leeching off the priest, and he's trying, man, it's extremely well written film, I mean the, especially the religious stuff, the religious stuff was spot on, but you have the priest, trying to convert them, um, to the Catholicism, and then you have Jeremy, and his girlfriend, it's a comedy, it's, if you couldn't tell here, it's a, it's a, it's a serious horror comedy, but it's definitely a comedy, especially with the shit that uh, Jeremy Gardner, Gardner's character does and says. Fantastic dialogue, fantastic script, and a crazy ending. Now, the ending of this film you may or may not like. Uh, it may be too far-fetched or just too out there. I enjoyed it, though. I thought the ending was pretty damn good. Uh, but yeah, man, it's it's an awesome film. It really well-made here, so if you like Either one of those here, Jeremy Gardner or Graham Skipper, and you like what they do, then uh, you'll definitely like this film, too. So I, I would say if you do like uh, The Battery and After Midnight, there's a good chance you'll like this, too. This is actually streaming on Amazon Prime for three ninety nine. It barely didn't make my top uh, 30. And I got to give props to Moods from uh, 22 Shots of Moods and Horror. He's the one that mentioned this film. He had it high up on his top 10 of the year. Uh, So that's the whole reason I even found out about this film. I had no idea it was even a horror film. And uh, it's a hidden gem here. So that's the first one. Now moving on to the second hidden gem of the year is a film called Margo. What Margo wants, she gets. A group of seniors celebrate their final college days at a smart house. The house's highly advanced AI system, Margo, begins to take on a deadly presence of her own. A carefree weekend of partying turns into a dystopian nightmare as they realize Margot's plans to eliminate her, eliminate her tenants one way or another. Time begins to run out as a group desperately tries to survive and outsmart the smart home. Alright, this is directed by Stephen C. Miller, which that director is so hit or miss. Uh, as far as some of the positives he's directed, is the aggression scale I liked, uh, Silent Night, that remake. I think this is actually his best film by far. Uh, and he's done a bunch of low-budget shitty action films too. So he's definitely hit or miss. He did Escape Plan 2, which is trash. He did a film called Arsenal, which I didn't like. So this guy is all over the map. His horror stuff is pretty decent, but his non-horror stuff is is not. Uh, This film is, in my opinion, this year's version of Drone, there's a film from a few years ago that also got my hidden gems list. And it's an extremely fun film about the drone uh, drone that turns alive. life. Um, but this film is about a house that's alive. It's an AI-controlled house that has a mind of its own. And it's just trying to kill the people one by one here. Just an over-the-top, super fun sci-fi horror. A uh, bunch of great kills. Really fun moments. Now, the CGI in the film is hit or miss, but I would say for the most part, it's actually pretty damn solid. Uh, And then you have a batshit crazy finale, which has a really cool twist ending to it. Once everything is revealed, I thought, oh, man, that's pretty damn cool. So if you like fun films, (laughs) which you should, but uh, if you're a person that likes these type of uh, horror films that are fun, it's, uh, it's definitely a recommend here. Now it is free. If you have Showtime, you can watch it there. Currently, it's streaming on there for free. Otherwise, it's also available to rent on VOD. Either way, it's definitely worth your time. All right, my next hidden gem is another film called Shark Bait. Now, Shark Bait is directed by. Am I saying the right Shark Bait? I think I said Shark. Well, he sharted on himself. But anyway, Shark Shark Bait is directed by James Nunn. A group of friends, enjoying a weekend, still a couple of jet skis, racing them out to the sea, ending up in a horrific head-on collision. They struggle to find a way home with a badly injured friend while from the waters below, predators lurk. Easily, easily, is without a doubt the best shark film of the year. Um, as I read here, you have a bunch of dipshits uh, on jet skis. They're out in the middle. They actually quote-unquote borrow, steal the jet skis, and they go out in the middle of the ocean and they're jacking around, doing tricks. They end up smashing into each other, uh, disabling the jet skis. So they're just floating out there. And I think it's four friends, maybe five. I think it's four. Anyway, you have these characters that are floating out on these jet skis. One of them's uh, bleeding profusely. I think his leg is broken and the sharks are in the water and they got to try to avoid the sharks and get people's attention to to get back to the shore uh fantastic shark stuff some great gore some of it cgi but it's really well done uh just a smart another s- simple movie but it's smartly written just the things they do to try to get everything going and how to try to outsmart the sharks i think is really well written so that is easily the best shark movie of the year called shark bait and it is currently uh streaming on tubi for free so no excuse of not watching it all right my next hidden gem Is it my last one? No, I got two more. So my next to last hidden gem is a movie called The Desperate Hour. And this is directed by Philip Noyce, which he's a pretty uh, well-known director. here. He directed Dead Calm, Sliver, The Bone Collector. He also did non-horse stuff like Patriot Games, Clear and Present Danger, The Saint, Salt. (laughs) So he's a really... uh, Uh, You know, professional director here. And here's a uh, brief synopsis here. A mother desperately races against time to save her child as authorities place her small town on lockdown. All right, this movie is similar to the Ryan Reynolds uh, Buried movie where uh, you have the lead actress in the film is Naomi Watts. She's on her cell phone trying to find out information on how to save her kids. So to get a little bit more into the story, Naomi is a mother who has a younger middle school daughter and a teenage son in high school. The teenage son drives his a pickup to school and Naomi fuck it Naomi she goes jogging out in the woods by her house so she's miles away from her home and she gets a text message that there is a school shooter at the high school. Desperately, she starts calling everyone she can to find out what's going on. Uh, her car is actually at a mechanic shop, so she calls a mechanic and befriends him. Um, and she actually gets him to go and uh, check on the son's truck at the school to, to see if he's there, any any help that he, he can give her. She uh, convinced him to go to the parking lot though to look for the truck. And uh, she since she doesn't have any vehicle at home, she has to run through the woods, miles to this main road, so an Uber guy can pick her up, and take her to this meeting place where the families of all the children are waiting. Uh, so, ninety percent of the movie is her on her cell phone, talking to the mechanic, talking to her friends, talking to the police. Um, is really intense. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I'm not going to, I, yeah, this is really another one that's hard to talk about without spoilers, but there's some stuff that happens that you're not expecting to happen and some twists and turns that really work that you don't see coming here. So this is uh, another hidden gem recommend, you know, it's, you can debate whether it's actually a horror movie or not. It's, I guess it's more of a thriller technically, but yeah, I think horror fans would like it here. Uh, so yeah, uh, another props to Naomi Watts. Not only Naomi Watts; she's a, obviously an awesome actress, but she fucking runs her ass off in this movie. Not only is she talking on the phone nonstop, she's jogging through the woods nonstop. So I know this had to be a tough film to, to uh, tough movie to film for both Naomi and the directors here. Cause there's a lot of running, put it that way here. And this film is actually on Amazon VOD. It's only two ninety nine, So that's definitely worth that. And my last hidden gem is another film. I'm not talking to you, Amazon. Shut the fuck up. Thanks for the feedback. Oh, because I said Amazon VOD. That's why it started talking. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, another interruption, which happens quite often with my fucking echoes. All right. What was I saying? Oh, okay. So my last hidden gem is a movie called. Saloum, or I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm butchering it, but or Saloum, S-A-L-O-U-M, and this film is directed by Jean-Luc Hobelot from Senegal, and it's also on Shutter. and here's a synopsis. In 2003, a trio of mercenaries escaping a, a coup in Guinea-Bissau take refuge in a hidden region on the Saloum River of Senegal, but something from beyond the grave awaits him there. I actually hesitated to watch this. Uh, the synopsis on Shutter didn't really make it sound that good. The artwork on the film was kind of iffy, uh, but I'm glad I watched it here because this is definitely a solid film. It's about three mercenaries. They're on their way to deliver this drug dealer they captured and their plane ends up being shot at and it has mechanical problems. So they have to land it on the coast of Senegal and they land by the small village um they're trying to go there to get supplies to fix the plane and also it's uh ran out of fuel uh now the village that they go to is this calming type setting where they allow people to live there for free as long as you do daily chores so these three mercenary dudes uh which all of these guys all three of them are fucking fantastic actors they're all excellent here uh i was pretty much enthralled by every scene that each of the characters are in Uh, Even though these characters are mercenaries, they're also deep down good guys and great friends with each other. Uh, The oldest one, he's in his 50s, he's also kind of like a witch doctor type dude. Him and the other older guy, they suspect that the leader of the group isn't telling them something about this particular village. Uh, There is a dinner scene which plays out like a Tarantino film. Uh, That's when the big reveal happens. And then... Once you get to the dinner scene, there's like a flip that switch. It goes from a heavy drama action film to action horror film, uh, where these characters, they basically have to battle the supernatural-type entities. (laughs) It's a very uh, strange, unique film. Um, Awesome acting, high production values, and actually really good CGI. Uh, CGI, I think, is pretty fantastic overall. So It's like a film that I wasn't expecting, I don't think you would either when when you're watching it here. It's uh, definitely a recommend, though. I I wouldn't recommend this to everyone, but if you do like the more serious drama type horror films, then it's definitely a recommend. And that is Saloon, and it is on Shudder. All right, so let me see. Actually, I apologize. I have one more hidden gem to talk about here, and this last one is called Those Who Walk Away. And is directed by Robert Ripberger. After Max and Avery meet on a social media app for a first date, they end up at a haunted house only to realize the trauma they share may either save them or erupt into an unforgettable nightmare. Uh, first off, holy shit, the lead actress in this film, she is so friggin' cute slash hot, whatever you want to consider her. her name is Scarlett Sperduto. Uh, She had my tongue wagging and a funny feeling downstairs the whole movie. (laughs) But not only is she beautiful, she's actually a a great actress. Uh, Definitely looking forward to seeing seeing more of her in movies. Uh, This is one of these films which seem to be a popular trend where half of the movie is really dialogue heavy. which setting up the characters and then all of a sudden the horror hits in the second half. A la Barbarian for example. Uh, This. Entire film happens in one night, which I I usually like that kind of setting. Uh, So as I read, basically it's about two kids, uh, you know, young adults here, they go on a first time date, which eventually leads them to the supposed haunted house. Uh, When they go inside the house, Max tells her the story of the supernatural being that lived there and how he impacted previous people that used to live there. And then all of a sudden the film takes a hard left turn. Uh, one of the characters is revealed to not be what they seem, and then you have this bizarre, nightmarish type of second half of the film where one of the characters is trying to escape the house and the horrors that are within. Uh, I'll be honest, I'm not sure if I understood completely the supernatural aspect and even the creepypasta-type creature of the movie. I, I honestly have no... I, i i get the gist of the movie, but I don't understand it all the way uh which to me it doesn't really matter. I think the film is strong enough it where even if you don't understand everything, it's still worth a watch uh if I did understand it more, you know it possibly could have made my top thirty but I think most people that are into these um creepy pasta type movies, I think you'll definitely like it here it's it's really well made and well acted to put it that way so it's definitely a hidden gem in my opinion and that is called once again those who walk away and no reason not to watch this because it is free on tubi all right so that was uh basically it that's all i really had to discuss 2022 is another fantastic year Uh, Thank you again to all the listeners out there, whether you're a first-time listener uh, or a long-time listener. uh, Thank you for listening to my thoughts on the movies, even if you disagree. You know, everyone has their own opinions, whether you like it or not. Hopefully, I introduce you to some true hidden gems or movies to check out, too, before you get too deep into 2023. Uh, One thing I will promise is my end-of-the-year podcast for next year. I will definitely have it out sooner than February. My my goal is to have it out by the first or second week of the year. Um, and next year, I'm going to get more detailed and production values. Uh, plan to add music and other fun stuff here. So I'm going to try to go all out on the next one. And who knows, in between now and then, I may do some other podcasts. If uh, there's a movie that I think needs to be talked about, I may just uh, shadow drop uh, podcast release so uh, stay tuned to uh, darkdiscussions.com for more podcasts and uh, thanks once again to philip perrin from dark discussions for hosting this particular podcast and that's all i had so thanks once again for listening spending the last two hours with me and i hope everyone has a fantastic week and a fantastic new year i hope it goes better than what my year is going so far Adios. Peace. A long time ago, I committed a sin. I was weak. I have greatly sinned. My fault. Through my fault. My fault, seeker. Through my most grievous fault. There is no place. My fault. God and the devil. My fault. In the same body. How will I do it? By not believing God is with you, but by believing you are God.